Episode 143 of the PJ Archive is one of several interviews I was fortunate to do with the wonderful English radio, theatre, television and film actress June Whitfield. June, who died in 2018 at the age of 93, is probably best remembered from the Carry On films and the TV sitcoms Happy Ever After, Terry and June and Absolutely Fabulous, which was immensely popular at the time of this interview in her home in south-west London in 1993. It must be a great feeling to get involved in a wonderful series like this, especially, you know, after oh, it you know, is so tremendous. long. I said to Joan, I know I've been sort of, you know, ticking over for years, but I said to Jennifer the other day, I said, I think you resurrected me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what did she say to that? Because she laughed. I mean, I enjoyed doing it so much before we even knew that it was going to be that sort of success. But it is, uh, I'm so delighted, and for Jennifer and Joanna, who can't go out of the door without getting an award, it's, it's marvellous. How did you get involved in it in the first place? Well, I think I did do a sketch with French and Saunders in 1988, and I think maybe Jennifer thought, you know, from that, you know, I wonder if... June would be my mum. Well, I was delighted. That was wonderful. <laughs> What's it like playing Jennifer Saunders' mum, then? Oh, it's marvellous. First of all, I thought that perhaps she was just sort of rather silly and everything passed over her head, you know. But then she, Jennifer suddenly gives her these lines to say, which are absolutely lethal. So you can see where... Jennifer's character, Eddie, got it from, I think. The only sane one in the whole thing is Julia Sawala, who plays the daughter, Safi. I think she's absolutely terrific. Now, although although you're obviously a very experienced actress, I can't imagine you've ever come across anything quite like this. Uh, No, you could say that. I did do a sketch with Julian Clary uh, last Mm. year. But, no, this this is different. Of course it is. Is it very difficult not to crack up laughing and a corpse, as you say? Oh, I think we do often in rehearsal. But no, you don't do it really at the time unless somebody blows something, you know, and uh, mucks up a line or something, and then maybe there's a bit of a giggle. But when you're doing it, it's all eyes down and concentrate. When you first started it, were you aware that it was a very innovative series? I knew it was different. I mean, I knew it was a totally different approach and especially um, a totally different attitude to women. I mean, these are two of the most horrendous women you could ever meet, aren't they? The the two that Jennifer and Joanna play. I mean, they really are horrific. And uh, anybody who thinks they set a bad example must be out of their heads because they are a bad example. I mean, they are... I would have thought enough to say to anybody, for heaven's sake, don't end up like them, you know. What sort of a relationship do you have with Jennifer Saunders and Joanna Lumley away from the set? Well, I've worked with Joanna before in uh, down Chichester. It was, what was it, Ideal Husband. And Joanna at that time was living in Wimbledon, and she often used to very kindly give me a lift back at, uh, when we weren't working from uh, Chichester so I yes I I know Joanna reasonably well and uh, Jennifer is very easy to get to know I mean she's you know delightful to work with and um, great I mean uh, obviously during the show she's 
totally concentrating because she changes things and how she does it I don't know I mean she has pages and pages of stuff to learn herself and then she'll suddenly come in and say well I've cut that bit there and and she'll remember to do it I think she's brilliant <laughs> wonderful how do you three compare to your real life characters oh I don't think there's a I don't think there's a tremendous amount in common I really don't I'm quite sure Jennifer is nothing like Eddie and Joanna is, is certainly not like Patsy. Well, I have never seen Joanna like Patsy. And um, am I like Mum? I don't know. I hope not. I hope I'm not... Uh, I don't put my foot in it quite as often as, as she does. So, uh, no, I, I think they're, they're pretty fictitious. Now, Jennifer Saunders has been quoted as saying she wants to cut the series off in its prime. What do you think is going to happen? Do you know what's going to happen with the series? I believe there will be another. She will write one more. But... I think, I mean, she writes it. She knows how many stories she can get out of it. And uh, she is extremely bright and intelligent and everything else. So I would think if she feels she must stop after one more, then probably that's right. It's, it's very sad. But Faulty Towers only did, what, two or three series or something, didn't it? So hopefully it'll become like that. Another award for Jennifer. <laughs> you must have won a few yourself, haven't you? No, I've only ever won one, and oh. that was Terry and I shared a variety club one, one year. I did get an OBE. I suppose that's a sort of an award, isn't it? Mm. Yes. What did the Queen say to you when you got your OBE? Did, did you say anything? Yes, she said, uh, are you working at the moment? I said, yes, I'm, I'm, about to, um, I'm about to go and be a fairy, you see, and I was doing that. And so uh, Susie said afterwards, what was that? What were you doing? What were you doing, flapping your arms like that? I said, well, Her Majesty asked me what I was doing. I was explaining that I was going to be a fairy. And she said, hey, that must be fun. <laughs> so you've not become great buddies with the royals or anything? Have you? I wouldn't have, no, no, I'm, no, we're not on sort of, you know, what's it turned... Uh, does this give you time for any other work at the moment? Are you doing anything else at the moment? Oh, rather, yes. I've done, uh, well, the Hudlines, the Radio Hudlines, which we just did the, there's a Christmas one, comes out on Christmas Day, starts again in March, and that will make it the longest-running light entertainment comedy show with an audience. On radio? You have to say with an audience, on radio. Right. Uh, radio 2, with uh, Roy Hudd and Chris Emmett. How long have you been doing that now? I've been doing it about ten years. And they've been doing it for 18. It's amazing. It's, mm. it's uh, really a, a long laster. So what else have you got planned at the moment? Well, I've also done a Miss Marple in Murder at the Vicarage for Radio 4, and that comes out over Christmas. Hopefully there will be some more. And I believe in January I'm going to do something or other in um, That's Life. Not sure what. Oh. Not sure what. Mm sort of sitting down and talking about something, but I don't know what yet. And what else is there? Celebrity squares? <laughs> so there are, there are odd things in the pipeline, yes. Do you find that whatever you do now, everybody still remembers you for Terry and June, or are they now, is there a fresh audience from knowing you for this now? I think a bit of both. I think, um, I mean, Terry and June and, and Happy Ever After went on for about 13 years, and then, of course, recently it's had another go on UK Gold. Mm. So uh, you do get people coming up to you and saying, you know, oh, I loved the one where you were... And I think, what are they talking about? You know, it was a long time ago. The last one was in 88 that, that actually came out, was shown. 
on BBC One. And uh, so it's a little difficult to remember. <laughs> what sort of things do people say to you in the street, apart from more direct questions regarding your series? Well, they're very nice, I must admit. I feel very chuffed when they say, you know, thank you for a lot of years of entertainment. I mean, that is absolutely great. Mind you, I did meet one the other day. Now, what did he say? I must get it right. Ah, <laughs> I was shopping and he said, uh, I don't want to interrupt you, but he said, I just want to say you gave a lot of people a lot of pleasure. Mm. <laughs> I thought, I'm dead. Mm. <laughs> so, so there are one or two like that that you mm. smile and say how mm. kind, you know. <laughs> You're very much a sort of a national institution, if I may say. Does that, well, is that a great feeling? Next year, I'll have been 50 years in show business, so I suppose there must be a few people dotted around the place who've heard of me by now. What are you going to do for your 50 years? Are you going to have any special events coming up? No, I should think slide in and slide out and <laughs> hope that somebody will phone and say, do you want to do this, you know? When you look back, what are the highlights for you, or are there so many? Well, I think the first highlight has to be the radio, Take It From Here, with Dick Bentley... And Jimmy Edwards. Is that what got you started, really? No, I'd done quite a bit of theatre before then. I did a long, long tour with Wilfred Pickles in a play mm. called The Cure for Love. Mm. That was in the 40s. And after that, I did two pantomimes with Wilfred, playing Cinderella in those days, and he was Buttons. And that was when pantomime ran until Easter, you know, started on Boxing Day or something and went till Easter. Then a lot of review, Love from Judy. I was in a, a musical, Love from Judy, when Take It From Here came up. But Take It From Here was certainly the first time that my name was being sort of banded about week by week, you know. What are you most proud of, of all the things you've done? What a difficult thing to say. I enjoyed very much playing... Uh, the part of, funnily enough, another one called Mother in Ring Round the Moon. That's a, a stage play at Chichester, mm. and I enjoyed that very much, and uh, playing Mrs. Malaprop in The Rivals and mm. things like that, uh, because that's a different kind of thing. You know, mm. it's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a challenge, and so it's, it's very nice if you can do it. And uh, I'm hoping that Miss Marple will be a success, because mm. then, with any luck, they'll do some more. Why do you think that you've been so successful so long? Why do you think you're held in the public's affection so much? Oh, my goodness. I, I think I've been extremely lucky that I started really working. No, the, the first thing I ever did was uh, I played Margaret in Dear Brutus, which is not exactly um, <laughs> high comedy. But when, even when I was at RADA, I did comedy roles, really. And when I was at dancing school before that, when I used to go to dancing classes, I, w I was always the ballet dancer who got it wrong, probably because I usually did. So I've, I've just always been associated somehow with comedy. And I do think that it probably comes from self-consciousness a bit when you start, because you think, oh, I'm sure people are going to laugh. So you think, well, why not do something that they're supposed to laugh at? And then... <laughs> There's a lot of actresses out there, and yet you're consistently getting work. Why do you think that is? I think people get used to you, don't they? <laughs> well, I, I do, really. Uh, producers and people, they think, uh, you know, oh, I do do that, you know, get, get her to do that. And I'm delighted. I mean, I, 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 
you know, I, I take what's coming, as it were. <laughs> How do you reach the sort of point in your career that you always wanted to reach, that, that you can choose, pick and choose where you go? I just enjoy working. Um, yes, I mean, that is very nice. In my younger days, I wanted to be probably Judy Garland, but... Uh, I soon realised that wasn't going to happen <laughs> and settled for... And it's been such fun working with so many different comics, you know, from Arthur Askey, Benny Hill, Frankie Howard, and, of course, all the work I did with Terry Scott. But I, th- I always think of him like Dick Emery as a, as a, a character comic. Mm. You know, he, he's um, not so much of a, of a stand-up comic, although I'm sure you know, he has done it in his life, and I'm sure that I didn't, I didn't know him then. How much do you see of him now, and what's your relationship like? I see him from time to time because he lives near Godalming, and that's on the way to Sussex. And so sometimes we we call in and say hello on the way, you know, or I talk to him on the phone. Do you feel you still have a special rapport, a special relationship? Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, it was great. You know, I I loved working with Terry. We got on very well. It was uh, it was terrific. And your two separate spouses get on very well. Two separate spouses got on, and even children got on well, yes. Do you sort of uh, regulate the amount of work you do? Do you sort of say, well, for six months I'll do some work and six months... No, not in the least, but I I think I do over the past few years. We always make a decision to have a holiday at the last minute because you can't really plan that far ahead. And if we'd actually made the plan for a holiday now and then something came up, that wasn't too important, then I, I, I wouldn't do it. I, no, I'd go ahead with holidays. You, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't interrupt a holiday for a quick, I don't know, voiceover or something. Mm. You know, I'd say, oh, too bad, I'm not here. So right. we start off whereabouts you were born right. and things like that. Right, Well, I was born in Streatham, and really the first house I remember was a big old Victorian house in Palace Road, which was Streatham Hill. And because I went to school there, very near, Streatham Hill High School. During the war, of course, mm. in Palace Road, bombs dropped and things like that. Were they very Those close to you? Did, 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 did there you was one at the end of the road, yes. And, of course, it was the night that I decided, being a bit bolshy, to stay in bed, you know, because we very often used to go down to the cellar where mm. Mother had made it really rather comfortable with bunk <laughs> beds and things. And I was typical sort of... I suppose, teenage fashion, saying, no, I don't want to, and all that. Because my mother had been calling me, you know, and saying, come on, you must come down. And <laughs> then this bomb dropped. And the bomb dropped, and, I mean, the whole room shook. Mm. And I dived on the bedclothes, and there was that awful... So all the air had been taken out of it, you know, and I, I think I got out of bed rather quickly then and went downstairs. <laughs> Your dad was from Yorkshire. Dad was from Yorkshire, and... He came, obviously, he came down to London, I suppose, in the 20s when he met my mother. They lived in the South. I suppose they must have lived there. Were they in the theatre, darling? No, nothing to do with the theatre, darling, except my mother was a very keen amateur actress and she would have loved to have been in the theatre. And uh, she was a very pretty lady and she could have been a gaiety girl or something, Mm. I'm sure, but her father wouldn't let her, so... Mm. um, it was obviously made very easy for me. I mean, she wasn't a pushy mother, but she... I mean, I, did, I went to dancing classes and elocution classes mm. and uh, everything was made easy, you know. I should think being in London made it a lot easier because up in Yorkshire you'd have had a problem, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, I, no, I was never um, mm. in Yorkshire mm. in my youth. I was mm. up there a bit during the war, 
Mm. We, Dad evacuated us up there. Your first ever professional engagement, do you remember that? And what, what was My it? first ever professional engagement, I suppose, was an assistant stage manager at the Duke of York's Theatre. Uh, there was a play there, Pink String and Sealing Wax, that was in 1944, when I left RADA. And that was my first job because there was an actor called David Horn who was in Pink String and Sealing Wreck. And yeah. he also taught at RADA. So uh, he wanted me to play Margaret and Dear Brutus, which is slightly different from my normal <laughs> um, thing. And uh, the, he just had a few weeks to run in the play at the Duke of York's. And so he got me in there so that I could... Uh, do this Dear Brutus, at the Q Theatre, that was. Do you remember how much you got paid then and what it was like compared to nowadays? I should think it, it might have been about £3, I'm not sure, something like that. I mean, my first big money... £2 a week, would that be? Or, yes. Yeah. My first big money was £12 a week in the chorus. And that would have been... Now, let's see, that... I went on tour. That was probably about £10 a week, I should think. Right. We're talking about 44 and 45 yeah. Did you always live in South London, then? Always South London, yeah. From Palace Road, we went to Cadogan Place. Quite a leap. That was quite a leap, <laughs> that's right. Well, again, I think my mother persuaded my father that theatre was, was in London and mm. if June was going into the theatre that's the sort of place we ought to be mm. and so we, we had this enormous house in Gadagan Place which must have cost a fortune I should think for my mm. father anyway eventually we left there then we went to Kensington Court which is uh, sort of behind Barker's Presumably you were a bit of a celebrity by that stage and, and were you getting recognised? Well no I'd, I'd when did I join Take It From Here? 53 I suppose and I was in uh, Ace of Clubs, which was an Noel Coward um, musical, which uh, was tremendous fun, and that was the time when I met him and Graham Payne and actually visited uh, Gerald Road, where he used to live, you know, mm. and um, played the odd game of canasta and things. It was, mm. it, was, uh, it was thrilling, really. Did Noel Coward come to your house? Once, yes, he did. Mm. He came to Kensington Court... I gave a, a party for some of the uh, the cast, and I know Graham came up to me at uh, at one on the evening I think when we were having the party, and he said the master would like to pop in. Would it be all right? I nearly died. I said, well, yeah, yes, of course it would. You know, yes, delighted. Um, so years later, when I told Tim about this, you see, he said, bloody rude, going to a party when you're not invited. <laughs> That <laughs> um, was wonderful because mm. we had a piano at that time and he played the piano mm. and uh, Pat Kirkwood was there. She was in mm. Ace of Clubs and my parents, of course, and quite a lot of the, the cast. And Joyce Carey, she mm. came. So it, that, it, was, it was most exciting and I'm, I'm so pleased that I was around because working for somebody like Noel Coward was really an experience. Mm. He knew everything about the theatre. Mm. He knew everybody's job. He could play any part better than any of the people doing it. I'm the most maddening sort of person. But he was great. Did you go from there to your first marital home, as it were? Where, where did you first settle with oh, Tim? that's when a you... good point. Where did I go to my first marital home from? Yes, from Kensington Court, it must have been. Yes, we didn't go anywhere after that. And that was in uh, Holland Villas Road. 
Tim had a flat there in a great big house. Well, after that, we, we had a little tiny house at the end of Addison Avenue. That's Holland Park, Holland Park. too, which we bought from Australian lady and gentleman who are now our greatest friends, mm. and they also have a... They live down in Sussex. You and Tim have now been married for how long? 1955. My God, it's coming up for 40, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I'm, I'm coming up for 50 years yeah, in showbiz. Sure. So, yeah. So how did you meet Tim? I met Tim through his brother Is on Christmas Day in a pub. <laughs> Is it love at first sight? No, I don't think so. I, I thought he was really rather dishy, and um, we sort of started going out together. We went to the same place a lot. There's a, mm. a club at Middleton-on-Sea where we both had lots of uh, friends, and Tim was uh, sports, you know, was his thing. Mm. I mean, tennis and hockey he used to play. Mm. I always thought it was a girls' game until I watched the chaps at it. And we met there. So we got married. I think it was October the 24th. <laughs> in 55. Do you think yes. it was a good thing that Tim wasn't in show business? Well, I think it, in our case, yes, it's mm. fine. I mean, I'm sure some showbiz marriages work and others don't. I think it just, you know, depends on personalities, doesn't it, really? Do you have a sort of secret, a key that's kept you together so happy for so long? Well, I always say the secret of a happy marriage is don't talk about it. Really? <laughs> what, to other people? <laughs> to other people, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you ever seen him act? Would, would you think he'd make a good actor? Uh, well, when we were first married and he, he used to hear my lines, he read all the stage directions as well, which slowed it up a bit. But he has, he's vastly improved. <laughs> he now reads the lines. And I think he did say he did something once at school. Mm. But, um, no, I, I, I think it's not him at all. I think he'd mm. hate it. And I think he, even when, you know, he had to read the lesson or something in chapel mm. at school, he, mm. he didn't like it a bit. Right. How does he feel about you, you know, in acting with these other husbands and that sort of thing, especially with, with Terry Scott? He's always been used to it, you see. Mm. When we married, it was uh, take it from here time. Mm. And it was all, oh, Ron, look what's happened to Eth. You know? <laughs> so he's grown up with it, really. Mm. It's rather like Susie. She, she's never known anything else than a mum who's had her face on the box. So, Did you want to have more than one child, or were you quite contented with not really. I mean, I, I think I decided we'd been married about four years and I'd really decided that perhaps we weren't going to have any children. Mm. And uh, then Susie arrived, which, of course, was absolutely marvellous. At that stage, you know, it's terrific to have had four years together first and then uh, suddenly there's a baby, which was lovely. How did you feel about her going into show business? We just said, finish your education first. O's and A's, vital. My father always used to say to me, uh, if I said, uh, gosh, Dad, you know, I've got 12 quid a week or whatever it was, he said, you're keeping up your shorthand and typing, aren't you? Well, that's for Yorkshire you... Dad, you see, isn't is it? it? Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, Daddy, I've just played Madeira. I've been wonderful. Oh, yes, well, keeping up your shorthand and typing. <laughs> he, ma he made me take a shorthand typing course, which is very wise, and Susie actually did the same. She took a typing course. Now, you've always said that you'd like to work together. Have you achieved that yet, or is it in the pipeline? Uh, one thing we did, in the, as a poster there somewhere, said mm. The Rivals, and uh, Susie was in that. We didn't meet much. We had one scene, I think, together, 
But yes, it'd be great. I'd love it. Mm. I don't think it's a burning ambition. It's just mm. it would be very nice if it if it came about, if the right thing came about. You know, it'd be wonderful. Have you had fans following you and, and hanging outside your house and so on at any stage in your career? No, <laughs> no they're not interested. No, no. My my greatest moment with fans was when I was working with Terry, Terry and June, and we were recording at the television centre on the same night as Top of the Pops. So there were a lot of kids outside the gates, mm. you know, waiting for all the pop stars. It was the time when I was doing a lot of bird's eye advertisements oh, yes. uh, about a dishonest woman. You know, mm. bird's eye can make a dishonest woman of you or mm. something. It was a slogan. And uh, as I drove in, one of them said, oh, look, there's an advert. <laughs> so that's my greatest... Uh, Claim to fame, apart from the chap who said you gave us a lot of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Apart from having had Noel Coward round your house once, <laughs> have you had any other celebrities over the years in different homes? Well, I did. Uh, I did at one time work with Dame Irene Vanborough. Mm-hmm. Now that's going back a bit. Uh, that was again when I first uh, started, and uh, she was delightful. She was. I don't know how I can explain it. Really, she she had the dignity of the theatre. You know, it was it was the time I could imagine when when she was young, the theatre was a was a mystery. You know, nobody knew anything about anybody except that you know the magic of the theatre. And in a way, it's an awful pity that that's gone because mm. now actors are brought so much into everyday life, and their lives are not their own. And in a funny way, I think it's a shame because I think. You know, in the days when there was this great mystique and in the days when, if what we're told is true, that gentlemen used to drink champagne out of ladies' slippers, <laughs> it, um, you know, it must have been a magic time. Hmm. Have you always kept your homes in a sort of, with lots of showbiz memorabilia around? No. I, unfortunately, I didn't really start collecting posters early enough. I think what gave me the idea was I worked a lot with Leslie Crowther and Ronnie Barker Mm. in Variety Playhouse with Vic Oliver. We used Mm. to do the comedy spot. So got to know Leslie and Jean very well. And Leslie has always had these little posters sort of in his bathroom or somewhere, you know, where, just as a reminder, and you, I, I went in somewhere or other, and I thought, now, isn't that fascinating that all the things that he's done, you know, and you can suddenly see it all all on the wall. So I, I think that's what probably started me off. Do you have a favourite treasure or souvenir from your career that you always savour? Well, that has to be a very recent one, really. That has to be the table that, that Frankie Howard gave us, you know. You know, when he died, he said that, Scylla and I were to go and take something. And Dennis, his uh, manager, was, uh, he said, oh, I know exactly what he'd want you to have. And that's um, that, that uh, table. Why, Which, why would he have wanted you to have that? Well, because he knew that Tim liked furniture mm. and that he, you know, was into antiques and that kind of thing. And I should think sometime when we were in his living room, I'm quite sure that Tim said, mm. what a lovely table or something, mm. you know. Mm. And so Dennis had uh, remembered that. Which celebrities have been to this house? Which which are your friends that would come around? Do you oh, see Frank. 
<coughs> quite a lot. Mm. Um, Terry, of course, Roy Hard, Eric and Ernie. And they came one time when they were at the theatre. Joanna's been here. Jennifer hasn't, but Joanna certainly. Do you get, like, carol singers coming to your door, singing and suddenly realising who you are and... Uh, Making a big fuss well, of from time to time, uh, they say, "Oh, it's you!" Yeah. You know, <laughs> yes, you do. You do get a bit of that. Do you like all that? Do you like being recognised? Well, it's it's par for the course, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's people say the time to worry is when you're not recognised, mm. but uh, people are very nice. I mean, they, as I say, the lovely thing about being associated with comedy is that. Mm. When people come up to speak to you, they're usually smiling, mm. <laughs> you mm. know. Whereas if you've been in some deep tragedy or something <laughs> on the screen, I, mm. I don't quite know what the reaction is. Mm. Do you watch yourself on telly? Do you have videos of yourself and so on? Oh, I've collected a lot over the years, yes. Um, I try not to watch them too often. <laughs> I certainly have, yes, over the years. I've definitely watched myself. But the silly thing is that when you watch yourself... I think you're always looking for things that probably other people don't. Mm. And the great thing to try to remember is that you are probably concentrating on yourself the whole time mm. and nobody else is. They're all watching all the other things that are going on. You know, so the attention is never as concentrated as, as the attention that you give yourself, I'm mm. quite sure. Have you ever had any regrets about not having made it as a big film star in America or in Hollywood or oh, anything like that? Would you like to have done no. that? No. No, I really think I can say I haven't had any regrets. It would have been an entirely different way of life. I mean, you know, when I was young, uh, probably before I was married, if something in that sense had taken off then, I suppose, would just have been a different life. But I certainly don't regret it, no. Mm. If it happened now, which it's most <laughs> unlikely... I think I would turn it down. I, you know, I wouldn't... Uh... What was the closest you ever came to megastardom? I don't think I've ever been close. <laughs> still waiting, still waiting. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not megastar. I'm, uh, you know, working actress and quite happy to be so. And I, I think really that the, uh, the publicity in a way that I get, as, as I say, it's like... Uh, the OBE, old but energetic, you know, been around a long time. I think that's why. How do you look back on 50 years in show business? I can't believe it is 50 years, really. As they say, it seems like only yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I think I've been very, very lucky. I've had a very good career. I've done quite a few different things. I've done musicals and review and uh, straight plays, television... Uh, film, radio, and the the great thing about the uh, radio with the headlines particularly is that, you know, the next series, it becomes the longest-running audience show. So I'm probably the longest-running <laughs> running actress, I should think, mm. on radio. Now, although nothing's planned for your 50th anniversary, are you going to do anything special with some showbiz colleagues? No, I'll never really know when it is. I mean, it's... Pink string and ceiling wax... It was in April, 44, so it can't be far away, can it? Mm. 50 years in show business. <laughs> now, when you first started, did you anticipate you would go on for a long time or did you just think just a few years of acting and maybe do something else? I, I never, never thought about it for a minute. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a very, uh, I'm a very day-to-day person. I don't think ahead, plan ahead. 
Are any, it as it comes. Were there any great prophecies from, I don't know, whether it be an actor's agent or whatever, saying, oh, gosh, you'll never make it or anything like that, and you've actually proved them wrong? No, I can't <laughs> say that, no. I think I was, uh, I was quite bold. I can remember going to see Henry Shervel, I think. He was putting on the Desert Song, a tour of the Desert Song, and I think he wanted to pay me £10 a week or something, and I said, no, nonsense, I've been getting, you know, more than that in the chorus sort of thing. And he said, um, he said, well, all right, uh, can you understudy the leading lady? Yes, I said, of course I can. <laughs> and so I think he, he gave me £12 a week. And I understudied the leading lady. And I had to go on for her, unfortunately, one night in, um, I think it was in Glasgow, which is not the best place to go on. And Margot in the Desert Song is a really high soprano role, you know. <laughs> and to start with, she walks down a lot of steps. So behind the scenes, you walk up a lot of steps. And I stood on the top of the steps and saluted, because for some reason she's dressed up as a soldier, I think, at that point. And as I saluted, I thought, what do I think I'm doing standing there? And broke into sort of, you know, she doesn't come off top C for about half an hour. So I think the critics said, unfortunately, it was a Monday night, and the critics said, after a shaky start, <laughs> she settled down into the role. <laughs> but what other things have critics said to you over the years that you've remembered? Any particular lines that they've written about you? I don't know that they've written an awful lot. I mean, when I was about 12, I was in an amateur production of Midsummer Night's Dream, and I played Puck. And I think it was in the Starman's Diary. And there was a picture of me, and underneath it said, a little genius. So <laughs> I framed that. It's never been said since. <laughs> <laughs> but what stage did you think that you'd actually made it? Or did you, have you ever thought that? Have you ever... I don't think I made it yet. I mean, you know, I mean, when does one make it? You, you don't really, do you? you... Mm. <laughs> was there a point, though, you acted with somebody and you thought, gosh, now this is quite something. You've achieved quite something. I think I've been, in a funny way, very unaware of situations. Rather, when I joined uh, Take It From Here, mm. I didn't know that they'd auditioned masses of, of girls for it. Mm. Um, I was in a musical at the time and really didn't listen to the radio very much. So I'd, I'd no idea of the impact of mm. it, you know, because mm. it was a very, very popular show. I mean, Joy mm. Nichols was with it for five years mm. before I joined it, and uh, I joined with Alma Cogan. But I didn't... I was not aware until afterwards, in retrospect, I realised that mm. that was, you know, that was definitely a turning point. Have you ever been in awe of anyone you've worked with? I can't say in awe. I mean, I, I respect them like mad, of course. Mm. No, I can't say I've ever been frightened of them because... Mm. I've always tried to find a way of, of working with them that mm. suited them, you know, because that was really, that was what I was there for, especially working with so many comics, to, mm. um, to say the line before the funny line loud and clear, you know. <laughs> Why do you think you got into comedy? Was that something you wanted to do or that you accidentally got into? Well, I don't think, I mean, nobody offered me anything else, really, but I didn't mind. I mean, I love, love being in comedy. I'd much rather be in something that... Uh, gives people a giggle, or a musical. I mean, they're marvellous too, they're mm. great. Uh, there's nothing more thrilling than 
if you're in a show when you you hear a big orchestra mm. strike up you know it's terrific mm. it's, uh... now among the great comedians you worked with is tony hancock and you were in that yes. famous sketch what can you tell us about that famous blood donor sketch well the blood donor was i think it was the first show that he did after he'd had a car accident i think he went through the windscreen or something and he was terribly nervous and he thought he couldn't learn anymore. So it was a very early auto cue. So when I was interviewing him at the desk, I was looking at him and he was looking just past me at the, at the auto cue. And it was a very funny feeling, but I'm rather short sighted. So I knew that if I looked at the auto cue, I'd be squinting anyway. <laughs> so I had to concentrate on his face but he was talking to me like that you know looking over my shoulder the whole time which is a bit disconcerting how well did you get to know tony hancock and what type of a person oh very well really and cecily his first wife and uh, tim as well we all used to um, go out after the show quite often i enjoyed working with him very much at uh, the last show that i did at uh, must have been thames i think the last series that he did, set in a nightclub, I mean, after he'd done all his other shows, and it didn't really work. And he'd really got himself into a bit of a state by then. So, you know, he was just his own worst enemy. How tough is it for you when you've become friends and become close to these people and they die, or especially through tragic circumstances like himself? Oh, it's awful. Of course it is. It, it, I suppose it's, it's no worse than for anyone else who loses a friend. But, I mean, with some people, you're more friendly than others. Of course, Frankie Howard was a great friend, so it was, you know, very, very sad when uh, when Frank went. But you have to say, thank goodness, he went, you know, without any lingering illness or something like that. Mm. I mean, Dick Emery is another one, Arthur Askey. Poor Arthur, he, he, he was ill. He, he had a bad time before he died, but... No, it's 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 awful. I mean, you know, if you you think how many are, are still not there, and of course it is mainly the men. The the uh, the women do seem to touch wood, last a bit longer. What uh, other work do you particularly look back on with great affection? Take it from here. Well, I suppose my my very first television was a thing called the Passing Show with Michael Mills. Mm. That was in about 1951. Then I worked with Bob Monkhouse and Dennis Goodwin in Fast and Loose their show about 54 and of course the theatre working uh, with Noel Card for mm. Noel Card I should mm. say in a, a play called Ace of Clubs I mean that was that was just thrilling I did I think I really did realize then that mm. I was working with a unique person you know wonderful he had a, a marvelous word for anything and that, there was one that I remember Graham Payne was uh, was in the show, and he sang a song, and uh, one of the girls had to sit on a seat and listen to him, and she had very long blonde hair. And Coward ca came one night, and, and he said to her, you must look at Graham when he's singing. You know, you're, you're staring at the audience. You must look at him. And she said... Um, oh, but she said, if I do, my hair will hide my face. And there was a pause, <laughs> because we all knew something was coming. And he said, well, that, dear, will hide the wrong expression on it. 
<laughs> so, you know, there were those sort of moments. But great, we, we, had, uh, we had parties. I know I've got photographs of, you know, when they took all the girls out for a meal or something. It was, uh, it was terrific. Have you ever had any disasters on stage, any great mishaps, accidents? Oh, yes. I mean, um, a couple of years ago in pantomime, I came tripping on as the fairy... And I thought I'd be rather clever, and I, I did a little bourre on. What's a bourre? Well, a bourre is a sort of ballet step oh. where you you just sort of... <laughs> I don't even know how you spell it. B-O-U-R-R-E, I think, mm. something like mm. that. And the stage, this was at, at Plymouth, and it's, it's all different sort of squares so they can be removed for various mm. things. And one of them was just a fraction up, and I caught my heel on it. I then walked up my dress <laughs> as a sort of back cloth came in, mm. and I fell in a heap into the back cloth. And everybody thought that the back cloth had hit me on the head coming down, which luckily it hadn't. So a very um, sad-looking fairy had <laughs> to then stagger up and get on with the next couplet. So it was rather undignified, that. <laughs> what about TV? Any particular moments in TV that have been disastrous or accidental? There must have been a lot in the early days. Well, it, you, you used to, you know, when it was live, you just used to hope that you'd get through it without bits of scenery falling down or anything disastrous happening. And I remember one a sketch with Bob Monkhouse when I think he was supposed to break the glass window in an office door as he went out, and it would not break. He had about, you know, half a dozen goes at it. Live. And live, yeah. oh, yes, bash, bash, bash on this thing, you know. So, I mean, the audience laughed anyway, but uh, those sort of things. Mm. Now, your long-time partner in television, Terry Scott. Terry, of course. What are your first memories of him? Oh, Terry, I met in the house of a director called Kenneth Carter, and I'd worked for Ken, and so had Terry. I think he was then directing Terry's Scott On series. And he thought it would be a good idea. Obviously, they wanted a female for the show. And Ken thought that I would be good. So I remember arriving, and uh, Terry was sort of sitting down there in a thing. And he says now he was terrified of meeting me or something, and I was nervous about meeting him. But anyway, we just sort of chatted really and I thought well you know is that it and then I left and then I joined his uh, Scott on shows and in that we started doing a little domestic sketch and from that then Ken Carter left and Peter Whitmore took over and he decided that we would try a half hour uh, situation comedy and that's when um, Happy Ever After began and from that Terry and June so. There must have been a lot of great memories of the two of you together. What, what particular ones stand out in your memory? Oh, I, I think quite a lot of giggling, really. I mean, there were, there were odd moments when... And it never sounds funny when you repeat it, you know, but you just... I know there was one time when he was supposed to have done a painting, or I, I can't remember. I mean, Terry's marvellous. He remembers everything, but I don't. And I know that we were staring at this painting, and it was supposed to be possibly slightly rude, I don't know, but, I mean, we were staring at a blank bit of canvas, mm. and it was just Terry's face, and, and uh, I don't know, we just got the giggles, and, and um, I think we had to have a 
a retake or two over that. <laughs> now, a lot of people obviously mistook you for a genuine married couple because you played yes, a married couple. Did. Can okay. you give me some examples of when you were mistaken? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, somebody would, a driver in a car would come to collect me to go filming or to do something, and at about six o'clock in the morning, and Tim, my Tim, would open the door and say goodbye, and we'd be about sort of 100 yards down the road, and he said, I quite expected Terry Scott to open the door, he said. And one time, um, we were in a cafe or somewhere, and a lady came up and she said, where's your husband? <laughs> I said, he's right here. She said, no, not that one, the real one. <laughs> so, Have you got any other sort of great memories of Terry Scott and, and working with him? Or? Well, there was another another thing when we did... Oh, Terry was dreadful with names. He could never remember names. And, you know, I don't know, talking about Auntie Sylvia mm. or something. So we'd get to the bit where he was talking about Aunt Christmas cards, I think mm. it was. And he'd say... Well, there's this one uh, from Auntie Sybil. And I think, oh, my God. So we have to go through the whole thing any time we referred to her as, as Auntie Sybil, when it really should have been Sylvia. But Is there anyone you haven't worked with that you'd like to work with? Oh, there must be hundreds. Any famous missed opportunities? There must have been, but I, 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 don't, think, I don't think I've ever turned anything down that I wished I hadn't, if you see what I mean because I grab most things with both hands. <laughs> what about commercials? Is there anything that you wouldn't advertise? Oh, there must be some things I wouldn't advertise, yes. Mm. But I, I had a marvellous time for ten years. I advertised for Birdseye, and it was a dishonest woman uh, series, you know, series. Somebody said, did you make this yourself? And I said yes and got a filthy look from somebody, and they said, Birdseye Pie can make a dishonest woman of you. But that was all different characters. It was great. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Are there any friends in show business now who have been friends all the way through? Miriam Carlin. We right. were at RADA together. So she really, she should be celebrating it too. I see her occasionally at, mm. um, <clears throat> up at Acton, you know, mm. the Acton Hilton. What are your thoughts work-wise and career-wise, whatever? Do you intend to stop one day or just carry on bop to do drop? Well, like most actors, you think every job you do is your last. You think, well, nobody's going to ask me to do anything else. So, you know, that's it. But I, I think I've come to the conclusion that actors don't retire. They get retired or made redundant. And uh, I suppose, you know, when the phone doesn't ring for a long time, then you know you've retired. I mean, I love working, but if I had to stop, it wouldn't be too unfulfilled, as they say. What about uh, ambitions now? Do you, are there many things that you've always wanted to do that you haven't no, yet? No, I don't have. I don't really have any ambitions. Just keep working, really. I used to think it would be lovely to be in a saga, you know, in a, in a costume drama of some kind. But as most of it nowadays seems to be entirely, <laughs> if I can use the term, bonking, I don't think it's very likely to happen. <laughs> but no, my, I mean any ambition is for Susie, really, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to her career hmm. more than my own. Do you worry about the future? No, definitely not. There's absolutely no point worrying about the future. I do look ahead. I mean, I, I look to tomorrow rather than yesterday, but life's too short to worry. <laughs> In the very, very hopefully long-distant future, how would you like to be remembered? With a smile, I think.